Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day. And one of the great blessings I experience in hosting this podcast is that I get to spend time with many of my spiritual heroes. And this week is one of those weeks as I enjoyed a beautiful conversation with Luis Palau. Luis and his ministry have shared the gospel with over 1 billion people around the world. And Luis has spoken in person with more than 30 million people in 75 countries. He was born in a small town outside of Buenos Aires, Argentina, and God uniquely prepared him for ministry to both Spanish and English speakers. The fruit of his ministry is absolutely incredible, and he has always loved and worked very closely with local church pastors. Luis was diagnosed with incurable lung cancer in 2017, but he has written a beautiful memoir entitled Palau, A Life on Fire, to share with the world his heart and his journey with Jesus. On this week's episode, Luis and I discuss the beauty and significance of ministry as a team. Luis shares from his early life about how God called him into ministry and how that call has sustained him over the years. We also talk about the importance of churches uniting and coming together in a city to share the gospel with those who are far from God. But above all, Luis shares meaningful words of guidance and heartfelt encouragement for all pastors and ministry leaders. Such a beautiful, wise, and inspiring conversation. So now I invite you to join me in my conversation with Luis Palau. Luis, it truly is an honor to have you with us. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Ah, Thank you very much. I'm honored to address God's servants wherever they are in the world, USA or around the globe. Wonderful to be able to talk to them, and I'll try and open my heart and open the scriptures to encourage them. Amen. Thank you, brother. Now, Luis, I loved reading the story of how your mother was praying for you even before you were born. While you were, while you yeah. were kicking in her womb, she was praying for you. <laughs> can, can you share with us uh, a little bit about um, her prayers for you and her, her impact well, there? Delighted, delighted. Yeah, she told me through the years, and she's told it in a little book that she wrote some years ago, that when she was pregnant, which was I was the firstborn, so <clears throat> it was the first pregnancy, uh, she said, Lord, if it's a boy, I pray that he'll become a preacher of the gospel. Mm. So that you can't get away from. You know? <laughs> when your mother tells you that, you say, okay, I'm predestined to uh, be a preacher of the gospel. My mother prayed it. The Lord must have heard. And I actually, in my heart, I always wanted to preach. Originally, though, I thought that I'd be like my dad. My dad was a businessman, very successful. But on weekends, on holidays, and so on, they would go out with the missionaries who led him to Christ and proclaimed the gospel in towns that had no gospel witness, no preaching church, and no gospel preaching church, and proclaimed the gospel and invite people to Christ and plant a church. And because he was a builder, he would build a church chapel, a baptistry, because they believe in baptism by immersion, and then an outhouse. And that was it. So they would give it to the new congregation that was converted. And every summer... They would go and plant in a church in a different town around the northern part of Buenos Aires, the capital of Argentina. So that's the early days in my life 
And as a young boy, uh, I would go along with my dad and these missionaries, pass out literature, stand and listen to the singing and the messages. So it was part of our life. Wow, that that's beautiful. Uh, how exciting. Now, Luis, tell us a little bit about how you knew that God was calling you to be a preacher. Now, your mom has been praying for it, but how did you know that you were going to be serving as a preacher of the gospel? Well, you know, various forces came into it. And as I look back, you can see the Lord guiding things and overruling uh, the outcomes, you know, because on the one hand, as I said, I thought I'd be like my dad. I'll have a business, make money on mm-hmm. weekends and so on, preach the gospel, do Bible teaching, uh, children's meetings, whatever you need to do to proclaim the gospel and build the church. But then when I got to be late teens, I began to see the need for dedicating yourself full time to not just running a business plus doing evangelism and Bible teaching, but literally give it all to uh, to proclamation of the gospel and helping to plant churches. So that's how it started. About 17, I decided I want to be holy. I, I really gave my life to the Lord as a 12-year-old at a summer camp. A missionary led me to Christ. And then uh, for about four years, I was in boarding school. So, you know, it was sort of drifting along, going to Sunday school Bible classes and so on. But at 17, I decided this is it. I'm going to drop the world. I want nothing to do with dancing, drinking, anything else. Forget it. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to serve the Lord, proclaim the gospel. And the thing that got me focused was my dad's death. Mm. I'm sure you read it in the book. Right. You know, when I tell about my dad, knew he was dying. There was nothing they could do for him. He died in nine days, hardly 10 days, and he was gone, mm. bronchial pneumonia, and he died, clapping his hands, singing about three times, then exhausted from the galloping fever, his head fell on the pillow, he pointed up to heaven and quoted Philippians chapter one, I'm going to be with Jesus, which mm. is better by far. And a few moments later, with the whole family around the, te- the bed, he went to be with the Lord. And so to me, that left an impression wow, this is the way to go, you know? You know you have eternal life, you sing, you clap, you quote the Bible, and you take off for heaven. Mm -hmm. As a boy, I was only 10 years old, uh, I was impressed by that, and I thought, I want everybody to die this way. So in a sense, even as a boy, that seed was there to help people die with dignity and the assurance of eternal life. Yeah, that's that's beautiful um, how God used what was obviously a, a very difficult time in your life, losing your father as a young boy, but God, you know, redeemed that to help that be something that propelled you forward and compelled you to share the hope and, and love of Christ with others. One of the things that, that I really appreciated in your new memoir, Palau, A Life on Fire, is that you write that part of the blessing of being a minister comes from how ordinary we are. And you share that, you have asked yourself the same question that probably all of us who preach have asked ourselves at, at some point in our ministry. And um, the question is, is anyone even listening? And, <laughs> and, and I, I just would love to hear from you and your wisdom and experience over the years. What have you learned when it comes to our questions about, you know, are we truly making an impact? Uh. It's a very profound question that I really would like to, 
You know in John 21, where the Lord Jesus says to Peter, Simon Peter, son of John, do you truly love me more than these, you know? Peter says, you know I love you. Okay, feed my lambs. Mm -hmm. Secondly, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Thirdly, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And you know the thing that gets me very much, Jason, is that we need to remind ourselves as servants of God, pastors, leaders, evangelists, but mostly pastors in the local church, is the grandeur, uh, the French word, you know, mm -hmm. the greatness, the grandeur of the ministry. To think that God called you and he gives you 200 sheep and he says, you take care of these sheep. They're mine. I want you to feed them. I want you to take care of them, both the lambs and the sheep. The grandeur of it. I want to remind pastors. I think sometimes with the struggles of daily living, with the problems of people, you know, with troubles in the church and families struggling and drinking or drugs or some kid who runs away or some, you know, all the dramas that a pastor has to face. Mm -hmm. It's easy to forget the grandeur of the calling that God Almighty laid his hand on you and laid on your heart the desire to feed and take care of the lambs and the sheep that Jesus Christ has rescued through his blood. And uh, I have felt compelled in the last few years to speak to pastors. I've been an elder in my church. I've never been a local church officially paid pastor, but an elder, which is the same thing. The only difference, they don't pay you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm an elder. I only resigned last year when they had this cancer thing. But uh, I've seen the ups and downs on all the battles of the ministry. But the grandeur of it, we must never forget. You know, like today, we've got to watch the difference between having moral and spiritual authority and meddling in party politics. We've got to distinguish between the two. Right. Because a pastor in the community is a glorious light and salt and light. I, when I go by a little church, I often pray and say, Lord, I don't know the pastor of this church. Bless him, encourage him, remind him that those sheep he takes care of are your sheep. And also that when he addresses even a small congregation, much more a big one, the rest of the city is listening in a way because those people are going to repeat during the week what they heard the pastor say from the scriptures on Sunday morning. And you have an influence far beyond the size of your congregation, on the community around you. I have discovered this, i got to tell you, Jason, since I came down with my cancer, mm -hmm. I stopped traveling, which I traveled for 50 years running like mad. <laughs> I never stopped to, 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 to listen or to look back, just go, 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 go. Now I've had to sit and watch and listen, and I'm amazed at the influence that the gospel has in Oregon, which is where I live, and Oregon is considered somewhat unchurched compared to other states right. that was not as bad as people painted out to be. You know? <laughs> uh, but anyway, people from different backgrounds, uh, Protestants, uh, Catholics, uh, Mormons, stop me on the street. I don't even know how they know me, you know. <laughs> uh, and they stop me and they start a conversation and they talk about your illness and they talk about God and about heaven and about dying. I mean, you'd be amazed at the interest that there is. So I want to say to the pastors, that you are ministering to, don't forget that you were called by God and that you got opportunities to speak for the Lord. You know, the grandeur of it is, first of all, the authority. Jason, 
you stand up on Sunday morning, you or I or the brother listening to us, I, you open up the book, you spend time praying during the week, you know the stuff going on in the congregation, you read what the papers say about the, the country and the community and the state, and you get up and speak the voice of God. And you know, Jeremiah 15 says, you remember, uh, if you separate what is precious from what is vile, this is in the King James, mm -hmm. if you separate what is precious from the vile, you shall be as my mouth. I mean, think of it. Right. A guy gets up in a little church or a 20,000-member church, opens his mouth with the Scriptures, by the Holy Spirit, you at that moment are God's mouth for the grandeur of it and the authority of it. So we're not just wasting time giving another sermon. We are influencing people spiritually, morally. They in turn go and influence people around them at work, at school, at the club, whatever they do. We need to be reminded of that. So excuse me for doing a preacher out there, <laughs> but I just felt I had to do it. It's my greatest passion right now to say to pastors, you were called by God himself to be his spokesman. So be very enthusiastic and joyful and spirit-filled, but be careful with your words. And you speak the word of God. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its plans. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there you go. That's good, brother. That's a great word. Great encouragement. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Luis, over the years, um, you've made it clear that ministry as a whole, it is is really a, a team effort. Um, you know, yes. it's, uh, there are many people involved. Talk to us about the value of serving with a team of others in ministry. Oh, absolutely. It's one of my favorite subjects. You know, when I started out as a young guy, I thought to myself, wow, we lived in a city of about a million people. And the first thoughts were as an older teenager, we got to evangelize these million people. How am I going to do it? You know, <laughs> so you talk to the, uh, the young people in your church and the elders of the church and you say, how do we evangelize our city of Cordoba here in Argentina? Well, shall we do it? Well, you soon realize you can't do it alone. That's for sure. Even the Lord Jesus, the son of God, chose 12 to be around him. <laughs> if he needed 12 around him, I need 2,000, 2,000, <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, and then the apostle Paul, he traveled around never alone. Uh, he had, uh, at one point in uh, Acts 20, verse 4, it mentioned seven people that traveled with the Apostle Paul. So teamwork is God's way to work together and to build up a team of men around you and women, too. But in leadership, the men get together, pray, seek the mind of God, encourage others, minister the word, do whatever it takes. But when you do it in teamwork, what a difference it is than trying to do it alone. To evangelists, I always say, an evangelist on his own is not going to get very far anywhere. Hmm. But the same is true in the local church. Right. And so if I ever was called to become a pastor, which I won't, and I'm glad because I'm just an elder, but uh, I would form a team around me immediately for prayer, distributing responsibilities, delegating, working together. That's the first step. It's such a glorious experience to have people around you who love you, trust you, you trust them and love them, and you work as a body. The impact on the community and on the church itself 
is profound. Yeah, that's beautiful. And and I would think, and you probably have stories um, from, from your experience along these lines. I know that I experienced this as a pastor myself, is that on those days when it can be really challenging and really difficult, if you're kind of in it on your own, it's kind of hard to get through some of those challenges. But if you're ministering as a team, you have others on your team who can help encourage you and you can be an encouragement to them. And so uh, together, like you said, as the body, we have the opportunity to you know, strengthen one another, encourage one another. When someone is down or feeling defeated, we can help lift them up, right? Absolutely. And as Paul says, I think in Galatians, thus fulfill the law of Christ, you know, carry one another's burdens right. and so fulfill the law of Christ. None of us can bear it alone. I feel very bad when I meet a brother who who lays it on his wife, you know. Yeah. I mean, he, all he can do is go home and b- draw her into the trouble he may be having that day right. uh, at the congregation. What a, what a, the poor woman just gets all alarmed and so on, you know. Right. Uh, once in a while, I've slipped into that myself, uh, and, and I do work together with her. But nevertheless, a, a guy on his own is a very— sad figure, really, and I don't think it was ever meant to be. Mm-hmm. If Jesus did it and Paul did it, who are we not to do it, you know? Right, yeah. Bring a bunch of guys. They may not be the brightest guys in town. <laughs> Maybe you haven't been blessed with that. But they are guys, and they love the Lord, and they love Jesus. And the more you share, you're really discipling them, while at the same time they're ministering to you, supporting you, surrounding you, encouraging you protecting you, you know, whatever it takes. Right. And it can be very exciting that way too. Yes, yes, that's beautiful. Um, I love I love just all the imagery we see in the, the examples, as you said, of Christ, of Paul, and just the, the early church and that idea of, of being together and um, for the gospel. Luis, you have spent the majority of your life, obviously, your ministry has been characterized by, obviously, you're an evangelist, so mass evangelism. Many times you're gathering, you know, people together across the entire city and bringing them together and proclaiming the gospel. Can you talk to us a little bit, because I know this has been important to you um, in your ministry. Can you talk to us about this relationship that you see between, you know, mass evangelism and the local church? First of all, if you have 200 people in your congregation, that's mass evangelism, huh? (laughs) Yeah. The mass is enormous, but it is 200 people. You're addressing a group of people, which is what mass evangelism means. Now, to me, the attitude of—I talk to evangelists all the time, as you can imagine. I just talked to some this morning from mm-hmm. all over the world. And uh, what they need to grasp is that I always say, if an evangelist is not a member of a local church with his family, I wouldn't invite him to address a a group of 10 boys in the backyard. (laughs) I simply wouldn't. You either belong to a local church as a full-fledged member so that you can understand what a local church really is, what the sufferings are, what the needs are, and respect the pastor, respect the elders or deacons, whatever you call them in your group. And uh, I, I, I often have referred that one of the problems in America, the USA, mm-hmm. which is not so much in other parts of the world, but it is here, and the UK, was an evangelist called George Whitfield. He was a tremendous guy, a friend of John Wesley's, and I look forward to seeing him in heaven. <laughs> and uh, But he would come into the USA, go into a town, and the first thing he did was attack the pastors. 
which were basically in those days Anglicans or what we would call Episcopalians today. But in those days, they were Anglican, British, and they were very much more biblical. And uh, so he would come into town and get, he had no money, no publicity machine in those days. So he would attack the pastors. And of course, people love it, you know, a bunch of carnal people say, oh, good, good, let them have it, let them have it, you know. They don't do anything anyway. They get paid for doing nothing, you know. Okay. So Whitfield got attention by doing it. And a whole decades of uh, followers of Whitfield from the early days imitated him. And they felt it was part of their pleasure and get a cheap laugh by attacking the clergy. I have gone against that since I was a kid. Mm. I remember reading Whitfield's biography, and John Wesley was different although sometimes he slipped into it too. But Whitfield was the one who gave that impression that somehow you are free to attack the clergy because they are dead, they don't have any fire, they don't have the fire that we evangelists have. You know, they're dead people, all they do is communion and then send them home, you know, that kind of a thing. Right. So today I was telling these guys who are leaders in the various continents of the world, you got to get the evangelists to absolutely respect the local church. And if you don't respect the pastor and his family and the leaders of the church, you don't belong preaching the gospel, no matter how much gift you have. Mm. I, I can get pretty eloquent on that one. <laughs> and, uh, and you have to, because these are servants of God who often need encouragement, not discouragement. They've right. got enough problems and to have a guy show up from out of town and, and treat them with disrespect. And a true blue mass evangelist, that is, a fellow who wants to touch a city for the proclamation of the gospel, has to do it with, through, and for the local church. We in our association, from the get-go, because I was brought up to love the local church, respect the local church. It may be weak, but it's still the body of Christ, mm -hmm. and I'm a member of it. The church is not something that I belong to. The church is who I am, the body of Christ. Anyway, uh, I've, 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 I've just said, you go into the city, the first thing you do is gather God's servants, show them the love you have for them, the respect for their work, and then challenge and say, why don't we get together and let's speak to the whole town. Let's speak to the whole city. Yes, evangelism goes on Sunday after Sunday in the local church and its many ministries. But once in a while, it's good to address the whole city, the whole community, the journalists, the politicians, the police, the army, uh, whoever else is in town, you know, uh, uh, address the university students, address the high school kids. Let's speak to the city together. And we have a, a saying in our team, we work with the church, through the church, and for the church. An evangelist is not an independent operator. He either works in, through, and for the church, or he doesn't belong in town. Chase him out. You know, uh, so when an evangelist comes to town, he should gather God's servants and say, let's do it together. This may be God's time for this town or for this community and aim to really evangelize the whole community. Mm -hmm. Anyway, as you can tell, I yeah. can get pretty excited about that one. Yeah, yeah. And Luis, one of the things I've always appreciated about uh, your ministry and your approach is just that, that that you really were intentional and have been intentional and your entire team is intentional about connecting with the local church in any town, any city that you that you go to, and how can you, uh, like you said, come alongside of what the pastors are already doing? And one of the beautiful things that that I've seen you do is 
you unite pastors um, across the city. Um, oftentimes, you know, local churches can sometimes slip into um, competing with one another, but you come in and you you kind of cast this grander vision of the unity of the body of Christ and how can we come together and lock arms and unify for the sake of the lost who are in our city. Um, yes. And so that, that unity is something. Now, I, I imagine over your uh, years in ministry, um, you've had the opportunity to see some special things happen when churches unite. Can you share a little oh. bit about maybe some some stories that you've seen about that unity coming together, um, maybe in a city or in a town? Oh, absolutely, yes. Well, you know, uh, Jesus said it in John 17, may they be one three times so that the world may believe that you sent me. Mm-hmm. Father, may they be one so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have differences of opinion on secondary matters. Right. But when it comes to the cross, the blood, the resurrection, the ascension, the second coming, salvation by faith alone, uh, we're one. We're one. So on secondary issues, we agree to disagree. But on the fundamental truths of Scripture, we are one. And that's what you unite around. And then the Lord said it. We didn't create this so that the world may believe. And I can tell you, I've been to big cities where the divisions can be very noticeable, you know, with traditional denominations, recent upstarts and uh, outsiders who come in and plant a church and so on. And there is the human side of us all, you know. But when you work together, I can tell you this, the politicians notice it, the journalists Man, they can smell it right away. This is a genuine effort for all followers of Christ to work together. Uh, Thirdly, ordinary Christians begin to realize, you know, we can love one another. We have a church down the road that's a different denomination, but they are believers and they love Jesus Christ. We can respect one another. We can work together. The kids are watching. And this generation in particular is very anti-sectarian that we're creating our own sectarianism, but that's another subject. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, there's a sense of wanting to be together. And I think it's a great moment for believers to insist on that. And, you know, the only institution that the Lord left behind when he went home was the church. All All other groups like you and I and what you call parachurch groups, if they don't minister to, through, and for the local church, we're missing the boat. We were not sent out to be as Christopher Columbus discovering America again. You know, we are sent out as one body. So, no, it's very important to be reminded of that and to remind God's people. We love, there's a joy in oneness. Well, we got stories from all over the world, you know. In London, England, the same thing happened. I remember once in uh, Thailand, the locals were not pulling together at that point, but they came together and then, Years later, we would get letters from leaders saying, man, when you came, the barriers came down. We really loved one another. We're speaking to the country. The people are listening. The journalists pay attention. And I've noticed, Jason, that when true unity, sincerely the door is open to anyone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ with a pure heart, the the journalists treat you completely different. Instead of always picking on little side issues, they go for the core of it. In New York City, you know, New York City is a picky town. <laughs> we were there just five years ago. And the 
the New York Times reporters say, how do you get all these people together? I mean, you got all these ethnic backgrounds and different styles of worship. And I say to them, it's Jesus. He says, yeah, 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 fine, it's Jesus. But how do you use Jesus to bring them all together? You know? <laughs> uh, it, it really was beautiful. And the journalist who was attached, uh, assigned to cover us, and we were there uh, two months, uh, was very understood it finally. She said, well, take me to one of those churches where there's a multi-ethnic congregation. I want to see how it all works, you know. And she was so impressed, and she did such a good job uh, of explaining to the readers of the New York Times uh, how uh, around the person of Jesus, people of different ethnic, cultural, educational backgrounds can pull together in an amazing way. She could hardly believe it, but she finally got it, you know. That is beautiful. Yeah, and it's just a, a, a testament to you know, they'll notice by our love for one another. And when the church can come together, um, those outside the church, like you said, they notice. They they see that that unity and they see that, that heart uh, of what it looks like whenever churches of different backgrounds and different, you know, worship styles, different denominations, different ethnicities can all come together to rally around Jesus Christ. That That is so, Absolutely. so powerful. Yes, it is. It is. And the words of Jesus, obviously true. <laughs> How nice of us to approve of the words of Jesus, you know. But it's true that the world may believe that you sent me. That's what they want to know, you know. Right. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I love that. Luis, um, I, I wish we could sit and talk for hours, um, but, but huh. we don't have a whole lot more time. But I wanted to give you an opportunity Again, you are talking to uh, your brothers and sisters in ministry, ministry leaders, yeah. pastors of local churches listening in. What words of encouragement would you like to leave with them? Yes. Uh, time to meditate throughout whether hour could close it, you know. Uh, you know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians to me is an epistle that particularly applies to all of us who are in vocational Christian service, you know? Mm -hmm. It seems to me that it applies, all Scripture does, but Second Corinthians in particular to me has always spoken to me, and when I speak to pastors, I usually jump to Second Corinthians. But in chapter 5, you know, Paul is talking about um, uh, the heaven in chapter 5. There's what an interesting thing. He's talking about the body being the tent and so on. And then he suddenly jumps and says, uh, let's see, I'm looking it up right here so as not to misquote. He talks about absent from the body, present with the Lord, and then suddenly talking about the judgment seat of Christ so that we may receive what we have done. And then he says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. That's what the NIV uh, says. We know what it is to fear the Lord, so we try to persuade men. And then says, in 14, it says, Christ loves compels us because we, we feel that one died for all so that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who for their sakes both died and rose again. And I just would love to encourage your uh, servants of God that listen to your special program here. Don't be discouraged in trying to persuade people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are compelled and called to give the good news. Mm. I've been impressed in the last 25 years, more than I ever had before, where the Lord Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
I'm sending you out to proclaim the good news. You know, when you approach someone as a servant of God in your local church, and lately, since I'm not preaching as much, I've seen it one-on-one, to be able to lead men, especially successful men, you know, who have had a pretty good life and kind of had a certain self-confidence, suddenly open up their hearts and give their hearts to Jesus Christ in a very simple and quick manner. The simpler we can present the good news, I think the more we will see men and women giving their lives to Christ. I think sometimes we confuse explaining all the theology behind what the Lord says with the actual message that we give them. And our message is very good news, very good news of forgiveness of our past, very good news that he comes to live within us in our presence as temples of the Holy Spirit, and very good news about the future. We're going to heaven when we die, and when he comes back in the clouds, our bodies will be resurrected, body, soul, and spirit will be joined together again, and we will be everything God had for us. So I just want to encourage your friends and uh, people who followed you all these years of ministry to, to really be encouraged. Keep it as simple as you know how, because people don't always understand all our arguments. Even we have a hard time explaining it. That's why we have <laughs> so many commentaries in our office, you know. Uh, but but just explain it simply with courage. The Holy Spirit was there ahead of you. He's convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's not like you have to do all that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Our work, our privilege, give them the good news. Give them the good news. Give them the good news. So that would be my last word today. And other times, maybe I'd have something else. Amen. Amen, brother. Well, we certainly love and appreciate you, appreciate your ministry and uh, your leadership um, as you have uh, mentored so many pastors and had connected with so many pastors over the years. And, and brother, we're, we're praying for you. We're praying for your health. And uh, we're praying that God will continue to bless you uh, and your family and the great work that the association is doing. Um, very excited to, to see all the new things that, that God has uh, in store for uh, your association and your ministry in the, in the years yeah. ahead. So great things are happening, and it's a lot of fun. You have a great team. Um, I get to work with them, and, and I'm just always excited to, to be connected <laughs> with them and see what they're doing and just hear their hearts. Uh, it's, oh, it's good it's to blessing. hear that, Jason. Yeah, brother. Yeah, great thank you stuff. so much. Yeah, well, Our son Kevin, you know, is leading the association, and yes. Andrew is a great evangelist. He's a man of God. You know, yes. it's funny to say about your own children, <laughs> he's a man of God, you know. Right, right. Uh, but they are. They are men of God, so I praise the Lord for them. Yeah. And thank you, Jason. Thank you for the ministry you have towards God's servants. It's a big one. And I thank you for this moment in your in your program. Thank you, brother. God bless you, my friend. Bye-bye. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. 
It's available for both Apple and Android. And so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day, encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.